When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Groves, ex-Scotland International and adopted Frenchman, Johnny BT. And we're going to be having a chat with Poe's Australian International fullback, Jack Maddox, a bit later on about what it's like playing in the Pyrenees, a bit about Eddie Jones and the current state of Australian rugby as well. Before we start though, Johnny, is it a birthday, anniversary, some admin, a hundred episodes we've reached. Can you believe it? I can't. And I feel like I should have gotten you a card, mate, you old romantic, yeah. bringing that up. Flowers are in the post. I had absolutely no idea. And it's very cool that something that started completely out of boredom during COVID has had the legs to get this far and that anyone listens to it. It's amazing. One thing I would mention, though, is that when you look back at the first episodes on the video, we have aged about 100 years, not 100 <laughs> yeah. episodes. If you look back now, you think, right, you've got through COVID, there's extra kids we're all sleep deprived and you can tell, mate, we look about a hundred. Um, but no, very cool. When we started, did you think we'd get to a hundred or not? Truthfully? Yeah. Absolutely not. <laughs> Fucking no chance. <laughs> but it's good that we did and not a hundred now either. Plenty more to go. And that everyone's still here and people actually listen, which is quite cool. Did you make it to a hundred appearances for any of the clubs you play for? Probably Glasgow back in the day. Did you get something for it? Do we need some sort of ceremony uh you do get stuff nothing financial but you get recognized there'd be like a shirt in a frame where there'd be some sort of recognition maybe there'll be some sort of podcast award i've got no idea the sports podcast do they exist i've got no idea but there must be something somewhere we'll frame that white t-shirt you're wearing today and i'll sign yeah, it there you go. You, it's fine. you've got the memo we're both in white t-shirts <laughs> looking ridiculous there we go back to the rugby how was your week because you were in san sebastian weren't you for the bayon po game it was magic mate I mean, not the result that Bayon wanted. Uh, the wheels have kind of come off because they took the game down there. But in terms of the spectacle, the day out, the fans, the atmosphere, it was first class. Like Jen and I took all three kids down, the youngest being two and a half, almost maybe not by chance. We were in the sort of the away end of the football stadiums, so the real Sociedad. We were behind glass as if we were the away football fans. So Finn couldn't fall over um, into the terracing and down to the, the home section. But it was great, mate. A game that was back and forth, a day of sangria, tapas um, in the north of Spain. And it really was a first class afternoon. So like that being said, the semi semifinals are going to be there in a couple of months mm. time. If if you haven't already, just for everyone that's interested from in France or abroad, if you want to come, tickets are still there. LNR.fr um, because it's, an, it's a wicked town. Like the food, the sunshine, 
the sangria, like the, the whole thing is just exceptional. So if you can get down, because we had an absolutely crazy weekend. It was great fun on Saturday. And I think the semifinals will be mega as well. So not an amazing weekend. Then I was in Paris for the, the Parisian derby on Sunday night. But um, no, the highlight was definitely Bayonne against Po. We might mention the game a little bit more with our guests, but I've got more questions on your experience, Johnny. So this is sort of for future reference, I guess. Yeah. But what was it like watching with all the family? Did you see any of the game or was it just kind of clearing up spillages? Do you know what? We were, um, okay, I've got one criticism of the stadium. Okay. They'd run out. They'd run out of beer by halftime. Oh, which was schoolboy. But if you're going to learn from something and do it better for the semis, they're obviously used to having the volume of football drinkers, which is yeah. abysmal. Not rugby drinkers, which I've been was a little bit better. And that's the one criticism. But do you know what? I was with the Van Lil family. So Poff Van Lil, another number eight yeah. played for Bayonne. We were there. All the wives were there. Ben Broster used to play uh, for Saracens and Wasps. Prop now works for Proval, which is the players' union in France. We were all there with the kids, so we we're sort of multitasking. And then when the rugby was on, we were focused. In between, it was carnage, like kids running around the concourse <laughs> trying to get eating different people's crisps around about us, like <laughs> scrabbling, making friends with different family. Like it's absolute carnage, especially when you're talking two and a half. But generally, surprisingly, they were they were so taken in by the spectacle, by the size of the stadium, by the songs that were being sung, by the like the Peña Bayona, the hymn that sung at the start with fireworks. They were just completely awestruck. So. Uh, they were taken in by that. And then you had the post section that we were mixed in with as well. And they were singing songs the whole way through, drums, and they were completely transfixed. So we actually, apart from the beer problem that needs sorted, um, really enjoyed the game. Sat back, enjoyed it, took it all in. Mate, you'll be there next with your papoose, your, <laughs> your sling. <laughs> we call it a sling here, Johnny, a sling. <laughs> that's some middle-class problems right there. The papoose, that's what they call it, don't they? But yeah, mate, you'll be there soon. Before you know it, you'll be taking the kids and they'll be enjoying it as well. It was great. Absolutely. And experience is, is a thing that's in the headlines in rugby at the moment. There was a lot of talk yeah. at the weekend over here about it being so good that Saracens Quinns managed to attract 55,000 to Tottenham Stadium. Generally, attendances in the Premiership are down. Mm -hmm. doesn't look great in Super Rugby either. Obviously, we know in France it's very different. The crowds are good, generally. But Derby Weekend took it to new heights. And rather than just marketing a one-off game, as in that Saracens-Quinns game, surely other countries like England can learn something from the fact that it was a league-wide approach. It was tremendous. The build-up to it, then the local buy-in from both sets of supporters, from social media teams, like trying to capture an audience and get them in. Uh, and be part of a big day out was phenomenal. The fact, I guess, it's getting to springtime over here makes a big old difference. But like these weekends are huge, huge occasions. But then commercially for the clubs to get that money in through tickets makes so much sense. So well done for them to putting it on. And if you look down through the numbers, like Cast Toulouse sellout, Perpignan Montpellier sellout, it's the big game. So Bayonne Poe is thirty eight thousand. But in the process, the sort of there's the performance versus the commercial. So they get a massive boost to their coffers, but Bayon lost. Like that might be their mm. top six chance gone. So from a, a sporting element, you're like, do you just sit and stay at home where you've been really hard to play against? They haven't lost at all. Or do you gamble and go big and try and get the commercial ticket? And like the commercial ticket and the spectacle was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Bayon, it was 38,000 tickets. Bordeaux, La Rochelle, 42,000. I think the total on the weekend was 160,000. Your average was about 23,000. So look, French rugby's in rude health anyway. Their ticket sales are up generally, but to have that boost to the coffers for each of these clubs on big weekends, like it's a great idea. So other leagues, different parts of the world absolutely should copy and take note. The example there at the Tottenham Stadium back in the Premiership was outstanding as well, like 55,000. 
Um, so yeah, absolutely. If we could copy and paste that and bring it into different leagues, different countries, well worth doing. And a couple of the games being moved to different stadiums will have impacted this, but five away wins at the weekend. Yes. You mentioned Bordeaux, where one of them yep. came, 42,000 there, but what happened to them against La Rochelle? They were just beaten by better. La Rochelle, as we've talked about all year, they're a grisly old machine that works really well and is absolutely flying. And they, they just ground out another win at the weekend, efficient, powerful. Uh, and Bordeaux didn't have the answers. A team, like as we know, are going through transition as well. Their skipper, Diaby, spoke after the game and he just said exactly that. Like sometimes you just accept you've come across bigger and better and they got absolutely smoked by La Rochelle. Um, you've also got the assistants. So uh, Julien Larle and Fred Charrier have just announced this week that they're off to Clermont to join Christophe Urio. So behind the scenes, a little bit all over the shop doesn't help when it comes to the mentality of a group and morale either. So it doesn't help when you take it to the Matmut Stadium. Yes, you get that commercial boost, but on the field, it was difficult for them and they got completely overpowered. And you mentioned you were doing the Paris Derby on Sunday night. Christian Wade scored another impressive try to win it for Racing. Yeah. Talk us through Lauren Trevere's press conference afterwards, though. <laughs> it was class. It was really good. Like the, the game was epic and that could be a, a game changer for Racing. They were essentially down to 14 for 60, 65 minutes. And they defended for their lives. And that type of performance can really galvanize a side before a playoff. Um, they're now seventh after that win. They were off it. Um, they've got Finn Russell still to come back after his knee knock. And crazier things have happened. They could go on with that spot and do something with it. And loads of games have been ruined, Tim, at the same time by red cards in the past. And it's one-way traffic and there's no spectacle. But this was different. Like It was absolute drama. Diallo, Wade, Palu, they were all excellent. And they fought tooth and nail the whole way through the game and stayed in it and Laurent Travers was excellent so again it comes back to like the the piece that media teams and communication teams now play in professional rugby and Stade Francais had tweeted you know pre-game and the build-up you know come and watch the Formula One you know the Rolls-Royce the F1 that absolutely smoked Racing in their way fixture come watch them play against the equivalent in their go-kart like that's the type of vehicle <laughs> they're in they're utter crap, essentially. And then Racing get to the game and absolutely hammer them. And in the build-up to the game, they'd use that as ammo. I think that it'd been put up in the change room. One of the staff or one of the players had said to had said to the head coach, look, if we if we do win this game, like as a bet, you have to go in and do the post-match debrief, the presser, in your motorbike helmet. Um, and, he, and he did that. They smoked him in the game under all sorts of pressure. And then it's a decent lesson in humour, but also humility for the Stade Francais communications team that, you know, you don't take the piss like that and you don't shit on your opposition, especially your local rival in that type of scenario because it comes back to bite you in the ass. Um, so it was class to see. Really well done and a good laugh by by head coach. All in good humour from Lauren Traver. We've seen it in football quite a lot and obviously things in football drip into rugby. We haven't seen that too much, but at least a stern talking to for someone on the media side of things at Stade. Exactly. I don't know who's going to get that hair dry treatment, but there'll be, so, <laughs> there'll be some... There'll be a temp, there'll be an intern that's got carried away and posted it and it's been greenlit and it'll come back to bite them on the ass. Huge wins for Toulon at Lyon and yeah. Montpellier as well, who were trailing at Perpignan. And again, it's the context for all four sides involved. So Lyon, who were looking to sneak up to fourth, but Toulon came and they were excellent. Charles Olivon come back, he's picking up his game time. A lot of the French boys have been rested. He wasn't. Big offloads, setting up tries. He was dominant in line out with his carries. 
And that win now sneaks Toulon up to six. Like you've got Racing winning, you've got Toulon winning, like these big teams that have sort of been hovering around eighth to tenth are now starting to stick their hand up and say, look, we're here. And it's the same for Montpellier, who won at the death, really, like an excellent game, the ball's thrown around. There's such a difference here when the sun comes out and the pitches are dry. Some of the rugby was excellent, but they were saved by the boot of Paolo Garbisi at the death. And that loss for Perpignan means they stay 13th in the playoff spot for Pro Do. They would have expected to win that game. And the fact that Po won, Po have let them up into 12th. So real jeopardy for Perpignan. And again, for Montpellier, who were struggling for form, that's now a shot in the arm. Can they go one step further in the next couple of weeks and jump into the sixth spot? So the money time is well and truly underway in the top 14 and the big sides are starting to win again. Right. Plenty to choose from in a good weekend in the top 14 on and off the pitch. So let's find out what your meter moment of the week was, Johnny. Well, it could have been Po. Um, I didn't want that because I used to play for Bayon. Uh, it could have been Yuan. <laughs> it could have been Yuan Tanga, um, yeah. young number eight who's been exceptional. He was phenomenal again for La Rochelle at the weekend. But it was the racing performance that I thought really stood out. If you go back and watch that or see some of the clips on YouTube, a yellow after fifteen, then a red card after thirty for Polianati meant they had to play for, for with 14 for effectively 65, 70 minutes of that game, and they were outstanding after being pumped 540 at Stade Francais earlier in the season, or sorry, no, at, at their place um, earlier in the season. They showed bags of heart, character and fight, which is what you need at this stage of the, of the year. And it was great drama as well to watch as a neutral. So the Racing Boys, well done. You were top class and you are the meter moment of the weekend. There we go. That was Johnny's meter moment of the week. And meter is the world's number one wireless meat thermometer, recently making over 20 million cooks better with their game-changing app and completely wireless Bluetooth meat probe. You can use it on a barbecue, in the oven, or in a pan, and you can get your hands on one at meter.com. Plus, you can get 10% off any full-price item. All you have to do is enter the code FRENCHPOD10 at checkout. That's FRENCHPOD10, and you get 10% off any full-price item at meter.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One of the biggest attendances and one of the standout results of Derby Weekend was Poe's win over Bayon in San Sebastian that you were at, Johnny. And we can have a chat now with Poe fullback Jack Maddox. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. We will come to the rugby on the pitch and Poe generally, but give us an insight into the occasion at the weekend because it looked pretty special. Yeah, it was amazing. It was really, really good. Um, obviously, San Seb's an awesome town and the weather was great. Um but I just remember on Friday we were um we were just walking around the town. It was probably like two or three in the arbor, like it wasn't even late. And there was just people like you they they were all here for the rugby, wearing jerseys, like in big groups, um, having beers and you know, we'd get like a lot of looks or, you know, stop for the odd photo or something. But it, it was it was it was a great occasion, you know, it was like um rather than just the game itself, like the whole weekend was amazing. Um when we went for beers after, you know, everything was full. Um, people in the in their colours and everything. Um, so yeah, it was like it made me really excited to retire one day and become a fan. You know, um, <laughs> just make yeah. Um, they all made a weekend out of it. And there was actually a point where after the game, 
we had a few beers and a couple of us were like, all right, should we get a hotel, you know, like have a really good night here. And um, we did a bit of research and there was nowhere with a vacancy, like you couldn't get a hotel. Um, so I guess that sort of tells you about, you know, like the occasion and um, yeah, everyone's in good spirits and yeah, it's a great weekend. So you slept on the beach? <laughs> <laughs> no, luckily we actually got the bus back um, because that would have been one of those things where I woke up the next morning and think, geez, I really didn't think that one through. <laughs> Mate, it's one of those moments though. I saw at the end of the game, Piccaroni's, your coach was like, right boys, because that's a huge win, right? Especially the context where you've been throughout the season, not picked up that many wins, but to beat Bayonne in Bayonne, the only team to have done it this whole season, but in San Sebastian, and then to get that lift from 13th to 12th, that comfort zone, and him at the end saying, right boys, we're going to stay down. We've got beat. That must be one of those great moments that you coming together could galvanize a team. Is this our season now? Are we away from relegation? So it must have been epic for you as a team. Oh, it was, yeah, it was unreal. Um, I think the moment it sort of hit home for me was because, you know, like as a foreign player, you you probably don't have as good of understanding for the rivalries as, um, you know, obviously what the French boys do. But I knew it was a, it meant a lot to them and it was a big game. But, um, there was one moment which, you know, it sort of hit me when we just finished and went over to the bench and uh, one of our members of staff was actually, who's a local, lived in Poe's whole life, was crying in tears at the end of the game. And, yeah, for a guy who comes, you know, from the outside, um, it just, yeah, it, that was one of those moments where I just felt so happy and, um, you know, it, it was such a rewarding victory because, he said, as he said, there was a lot of pressure on us. Um and after being off for two weeks, you know, we had a tough loss against La Rochelle at home and that stings, you know, all you want to do is get back out there and play and we had to wait and we trained hard and yeah, it was, uh, it was maybe the most satisfying win of my career, actually. I was, I can't say, I can't tell you how good it was. That's awesome. And he was just crying because he knew the night out in San Sebastian. That's how happy he was. <laughs> he knew the drinks were free tonight. <laughs> exactly. That's what you'd given him. But like generally you, you talk like a load of passion about that potentially being the biggest win of your career, but like, what do you make generally of your time now in France, the crowds, the vibe, when you compare it to super rugby and the different comps, like how enjoyable is it? Oh, I love it. Um, you know, it's very different in pretty much all aspects, the way of the style of play, even the way it's ref, like, uh, the crowds, the passion, everything, um, you sort of take the good with the bad. Um, but, yeah, at this stage of my life, I'm just loving it. Um, you know, what it's what it provides on a week-to-week -week basis. Um, and I guess just the change-up. You spent five years in Super Rugby, seven caps for the Wallabies, I think when you were only 21 at the time. So what was the kind of motivation behind the move to France and how did it come about? To be honest, I'd always been quite, quite keen to, uh, you know, I always knew, I remember my dad told me um, when I was like 18 or 19 um i had a decision made to go to try and pursue cricket or try and pursue rugby and there was even um a very very brief moment where um you know i could have explored playing rugby league and i remember my dad just said to me early days he was just like play rugby and i was like why is that and he said if you can't play cricket play and i said why is that and he said just the 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 countries you'll go to the travel the life experiences you'll have and so that always sort of stuck with me that I knew I always wanted to travel playing rugby and it's different. Like it's different when you, like I've been, I've been to a lot of countries playing super rugby and for the Wallabies as well. Um, but it's not really, you know, you go and you might get one day off. You don't really scratch the surface, you know, 
So I was always keen to properly live and try and learn a language and, you know, really throw yourself in the deep end. And um, I just got to a point where um, I felt like I was stalling a little bit there. Um, you know, I played seven games at 21 for the Wallabies. Um, yeah, I just felt like I wasn't really progressing. And as I said before, I knew I had that opportunity and I just wanted to take it up. Um, I loved my time in Australia. Like when I talk about the differences you know, I don't want to be that guy who sort of like try, you know, tries to shit on um, everything back home. Like, there's so many good aspects, and I've got so many good mates and stuff from there. But I just felt like at that point, you know, I was keen to do something different. Uh, me and my partner as well, uh, my girlfriend, we've been together about five years, and yeah, we just thought it was the right age, the right time to, you know, try something new. And yeah, we've got no regrets. It's going really well. Is there? I was going to pick on the only regret. Like, you've taken the opportunity. You're running with it with both hands and doing an amazing job with Poe. Is there a little bit? Like again, being so young with international rugby, you look back and say a handful of caps, Gitto's laws there, and now you can't play. Is that was that the tough bit, knowing that you had to give up international rugby coming over here? Yeah, but it wasn't something which um, it wasn't exactly you know on my doorstep at the time as well. And I remember speaking to one of the boys at the Waratahs who'd come to France when he was young and he didn't really have a good experience. And he said it's actually a really good bit of advice. He said if you're going to go, you got to fully commit and go. You know, don't ever you know, be watching our games on a Friday and thinking, oh, I could have done that better or, you know, like how the fullbacks in Australia go this week because, you know, maybe I'd be a chance, like um, just fully commit. And, yeah, I've sort of done that. Like I, I watch some of the boys play back home, you know, the Waratahs and the Wallabies games and I support them, but more from a fan point of view, I'm, you know, not like an armchair critic or anything like that. Like I've uh, still love seeing my mates doing well and, you know, want them to win every week. But, um, no, I'm, I'm completely happy with, you know, the fact that, yeah, what you potentially miss out on by coming over here. But um, as I said, I think the life experiences and everything that I'm gaining, I'm you know, I'm more than happy to sacrifice that if it was, you know, to be there. You mentioned that you weren't in the squad when you did make the move over to Pope. Yeah, I was in the squad. So we did um like at the back end of 2020, it was because of COVID, it was like a 12-week bubble we went into. And um when I first got into um when I first got into camp, I was, um, you know, quite, I was quite enthusiastic and thought I, you know, was in with a good, pretty good chance, but I didn't, I think we had eight or nine games or something like that. And uh, we didn't play one. And by the end, I was giving it everything I got. And, you know, it was quite frustrating. The last few games, the feedback I was getting was, oh, you know, you're training the house down, you're so close, you're so close. And then, yeah, it was all sort of like a bit of a change in the guard with a new coach. And I wouldn't say that, you know, the writing was on the wall or anything because if you play well, you're always going to get picked and obviously another season of Super comes around every year. But we just had a season in Australia where we hadn't won a game for the Waratahs in 13. I just felt, I was just a bit frustrated with the way everything had gone. Um, yeah, I was just looking for something fresh, a change of scenery. Um, you know, I'd spoken to boys who played here before. They said it was great and I just thought, why not, you know? And Dave Rennie tried to persuade you to stay, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Um, you know, I had a, I still do have a very good relationship with Dave. I think, um, you know, that's obviously his job to try and retain all the players he can. Um, but we were very transparent and honest the whole way through. And I've, you know, I got a lot of respect for him and the way he handled it. Yeah. I mean, it was tough to sort of tell him it was actually, it, it happened really weirdly, actually, because I literally signed like, I signed the contract and literally like the next day I was, I was going to call X, Y, and Z and, you know, the people you need to inform. And he was one of them. And he just happened to call me in the morning and said, um, 
you're in the squad, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, you know, he just caught me off guard and I had to just be straight up and honest with him. And um, yeah, he took it well. Um, but yeah, it could have been, it could have been a, you know, a bad situation because I probably maybe should have got on the phone a, a bit earlier, but I uh, just thought I had a bit more time than I did. Uh, but yeah, he was awesome. You know, I've, I was sad to see him go from the Wallabies because I thought he was doing a great job. But yeah, it's, it's, it can be cruel business at times. And it's weird. You mentioned the fact that when you come and like a former teammate is saying, when you leave, you have to kind of park everything back home and you can control that because you, you're focusing on your job here in France, but like you're never going to control the coaches reaching out and contacting you. So like, has Eddie been on the phone to like sign you out and see what you're feeling about Aussie caps or has that not happened yet? No, I haven't heard anything from, from uh, Big Eddie, but um, like it's very exciting that he's back in Australia. I love him as like, as a fan because I've never had anything to do with him professionally, but um, he's always got something to say. And I think in Australia, that's going to be really good. Um, it's always such a competitive environment there. And, um, you know, he's got such a big reputation to sound, he's, he sounds fascinating, you know, from a player's point of view, like you'd just love to go and get under a guy like him and just see what he can do with you. Cause um, yeah, he seems to be quite full on, but um, you know, I guess as a player, you want someone who's going to challenge you and try and, you know, get that extra one, two percent out of you. And you mentioned you've had no personal interactions with Eddie, but have you spoken to any of the other guys in the Wallaby camp? Do you know how he's getting on so far or what he's like? Um, no, I actually haven't heard anything, but he's always got something to say in the media. So I still keep up to date with that a lot. No, it's good. I mean, he he's just box office, isn't he? He's always, you know, got something to say. And um I think it's nice to see him being aggressive as well. So I think um he's got such a big presence and as i said before i think rugby in australia probably needs that someone to get on the front foot and you know i see he's done oh, i read something the other day that he he wants to take him to darwin before the world cup and stuff like that so and just some of the stuff he says about reconnecting with grassroots and all that sort of stuff i think he's spot on because you know i grew up you know ball boying every weekend club rugby in sydney um so i've i know that that environment very well and you know playing i played for east my whole life in sydney so um, yeah, I do think he's spot on there. You know, if you can engage um, everyone in Clubland and sort of bring everyone together, um, you know, I think that's going to be so powerful for Australian rugby. And I think, um, yeah, he's he's very right to identify that as, you know, like a priority. Johnny, you've been in some camps with the likes of Vern Cotter. you imagine that, a pre-World Cup camp with Eddie in the wilderness? Not now, mate. <laughs> Absolutely no <laughs> chance. But if I was, this is the thing, when you're, your physical peak or you're aiming for the pinnacle and you want to be your best for your country at the World Cup, you'll do anything. And you'll do anything also to believe that whoever is in charge is going to lead you to that holy grail and going to do the right thing. So no, I now couldn't think <laughs> or get my head around of doing a preseason camp with Eddie Jones. But if I was an Aussie and I was wanting to back myself and back that team to go and do big things at a World Cup, he's got to be one of the men you put top of your hit list to lead you. Like unbelievable leader, been there, done it, multiple countries, respect of everyone plus he's like a ball breaker isn't he? like you can just see his personality he'd probably be half good fun to be around half the time you'd be absolutely <laughs> terrified so it's that type of personality you'd never be at ease like you listen to gits or people like that talk about him never at ease not an easy personality but if what you want at the end of the day is the team to be the best that it can be he's one of the men you want there so personally no i'm done but for the aussie boys <laughs> crack on and Jack, you're not done. A World Cup in France would be amazing. But this is kind of good. You can be on the other end of the throne. If they get a few injuries, you'll be there. 
in France, but you can avoid that World Cup camp in Darwin, which I reckon will <laughs> yeah, be around. Parachuting in the last minute. <laughs> you mentioned it there, the state of Australian rugby in general, before we get on to France, which is far more important. But they've got the World Cup, obviously, 2027, but so much competition in Australia among other sports. And we know recent years hasn't been brilliant for rugby union in Australia. So if you're in charge, what needs to change? I don't know. Like, I think there's quite a... N- a negative narrative around it, in my opinion. Um, you know, I think there are things which could be done slightly better, and I think that's probably below the professional level um, around club. And if you have a, a middle ground between Super Rugby and Club Rugby, I don't know. But um, from from my experience in the like in the professional game, I think um, you know everything's run really well, and I just think a few wins will change everything. And I think something which will be really good for them now is the new, I don't know if he's chairman or CEO or whatever, Hamish McLennan and, um, you know, Eddie Jones, they, they def- definitely bring a, you know, a positive um, mindset towards getting on the front foot in the media. Cause I think so much of Australia um, is, I guess the narrative is written by the journalists and a lot of them are, you know, they have Australian rugby at the moment. It's almost like the ugly duckling because Fox, Fox who, um, they have the rights for the AFL, the NRL, and they've got nothing to do with rugby. And rugby walked away from a few years ago. So they just shit on rugby at every opportunity they get. And I think that's sort of the public's opinion is probably, you know, written up by that or made up from that. So it's good to see um, Hamish Clennon and Eddie who they get on the front foot a lot. Um, they, You know, they're not short of a headline. They get you on the back page, that sort of thing. And, yeah, I think they've got a, a very favourable draw at the World Cup this year. You know, you get guys in like, you know, Samu Karevi, Quade Cooper. Um, these guys fit again this year. Um, and you maybe skeleton of those guys. Like, I reckon they can go very deep and it can change so quickly. Um, so, yeah, in terms of like the overall question, I don't think they're very far off at all. Like, I actually think they'll go very deep in this World Cup. And, you know, it all takes a few good results. And I'm sure that the narrative will begin to change. And, mate, you say that with the likes of the Arnold brothers potentially. Quade Cooper, Will Skelton, Karevi coming back in and the favourable pool draw that you mentioned. Do you reckon there's a chance Australia realistically could go on and win this World Cup in France? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think the hope from my perspective is like, you know, I, I hope Australia win, obviously. Um, I think my my hope is that there's no one better, you know, historically at making a team peak at the right time than Eddie Jones. And, you know, I think to win a World Cup, I look at the other side of the draw and, those teams probably have the momentum going into the World Cup, but, you know, there might be a bit of crossfire going on there in the early rounds. You know, it, like you might get a couple of teams limping into the final or something, and if Australia can hit that, you know, peaking at the right moment, uh, be a little bit fresher. You know, I think they've I think they've honestly got a very good chance. Um, and, you know, it's exciting. I, I'd, I'd sort of consider them more of a dark horse. Like I think from an international perspective, they haven't been talked about too much, but... Um, no, I do think that if the stars align and you know they have, you know they have their key men fit and um, can sort of go under the radar and you know just poke their head out, you know, in the semis or qu- quarters and semis, and um, yeah, I think they, I, I think they can win. If I had to, you know, you put a gun to my head, I, I don't know, but they definitely can. Um, so yeah, it's exciting. Back to French rugby now. This is your second season at Poe, and we have people on here all the time. We chat about the differences and kind of adjusting to life in France. You sort of mentioned it earlier on that you got some advice that was, if you're going to do it, you got to throw yourself into it. So give us a sense of 
what it was like sort of acclimatizing and getting used to a different country um yeah it was pretty easy actually it was easier than i thought um just because i guess when i came over here, i was just high on life you know like i remember <laughs> the first weekend i got here a few of the boys took me down to san sebastian where we played last weekend and you know i, I remember because in australia like you're so isolated from the rest of the world you know i couldn't believe we we're just going to drive across to spain and i remember i was like do i need my passport like do i need all this and they're like no that's sweet like relax um and i remember i was just amazed when we went through the borders literally just like a one euro toll you just tap your card and you go straight through um so those little things um you know even just walking down to the bakery in the morning getting your loaf of bread or whatever like those little things um i don't know why i just they were very nostalgic and i was just like wow how good's this and i think we'll Oh, I was very lucky because I hadn't I hadn't done a whole lot of research about you know the the dressing room I was walking into as well. I knew a few boys um, that sort of said good things, but it was a bit weird because like obviously in Australia you know everyone. Every time you play another team, you know exactly who you're playing. Um, whereas I literally when I walked in, I I didn't know. You know I knew five or six boys, but I, I was seeing everyone else's faces pretty much first time, and you know so that, that I was very fortunate in that because I had no idea. But we've honestly got such a tight group a lot of boys who are around my age as well and you know like-minded um so yeah I mean that made it easy and um I went oh, four four and a half months before my girlfriend arrived as well because she was a school teacher back in Australia so she finished the, finished the year teaching but I, th- I think that was a good thing because it sort of gave me time to find my feet and I guess um get the you know the paperwork and I sort of niggle um sorted before she arrives so you know i could sort it because i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want her to come over and have been like you know shit go wrong and just be like what the fuck's going on you know like every you know i was sort of on top of everything by the time she got here this is where you know these are the shops like the supermarkets all that sort of stuff and um so yeah it all worked out really well so you had four and a half months of quiet time just figuring out where the bakery <laughs> was <laughs> no nightclubs <laughs> No, no nights out with Zach Henry. There was nothing going on, mate. There was a few early days, but then I did get that injury. So I sort of took the foot off the pedal a little bit with that. I sort of laid low. Um, mate, before we go on the, like, the injury, because I have to ask you about that as well, because it's one of the weirdest ones I've heard of. But yeah, in terms exactly. of like, like you, you fitted straight in, did Zach and the boys have you on the shoof beer? Did you have any initiations you had to do or was it all plain sailing? No, I right? actually came really late. Uh, so I missed that. I missed all that. I came with like, I came and I I remember hopping off the plane and it was like a it was like midweek or something and um we had a trial against Bayon in Bayon only like three or four days later you know I was still jet lagged and stuff and I was like I was just talking to a couple of guys I'm sure that I'm not going to play and they're like it's for it's be ready and I was like you reckon and they're like just be ready anyway I ended up playing um so yeah I remember I came really late because I was supposed to um I was supposed to go to the Olympics last year and play sevens but I broke my hand playing super so I sort of um but I was touching I was a bit touch and go with that so what happened was um you know it's a say a six-week injury the Olympics was after three and a half four and so I could have gone but um I remember going to a specialist and they were like yeah you can do it you can play with this cast but we can't guarantee that there's you know, and I just thought as good as going to the Olympics would have been like if I'd then gone and done something, you know, like far worse to my hand and, you know, I think I would have had the the right to pull the contract and I just didn't want to risk that at all. So, um, yeah, I ended up dra- like dragging it out because I wanted to go to the Olympics, but not if it was going to be, you know, at the expense of 
risking that. So um, yeah, I ended up turning up really late, um, which was, I guess, a blessing in disguise. No, it was to do preseason. And mate, so that was the wrist. Like you had one of the weirdest injuries I've ever heard of last year as well. Talk us through that one because you missed a massive chunk of the year. Yeah, what a really, really strange injury, eh? Yeah, I missed. Four, I only played four games last season. Um, so yeah, I got a cork. We played against Stade Francais at home, and I got. Um, I guess I think you guys call it dead leg in England. That's uh, right. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a. It was a really bad one in terms of like got it, and you normally you can play through them or something like that. And I just. Um, I played three or four minutes before half time and then got up to, you know, at half time to walk back out of the change rooms and I could like, I just couldn't walk normally. Like it was really bad. Um, anyway, I went back out, made one carry or something and got pulled off like one minute later. I think they just knew. <laughs> I was like, the hell's got having a jack. Um, so they pulled me off and then, um, I actually had a mate in town from Australia and, well, we had a big night where we had a good night planned. Um, but I knew because like if you have a cork, like it's it's you're playing with fire if you get on the beers after. Um, so I didn't do anything. Um and we played beer roots at home the, the next week before we had the November break. And um, you know, I was pushing to play that and probably in hindsight made a few errors in the way, you know, we're treating it, just poked the bear a little bit or you know, poked the beehive when I should have just let it settle. And then yeah, it just been like two or three weeks and it just wasn't draining. I was like, fuck, this is weird. And then, you know, I knew what a calcification was, but I, it's just one of those things you're like, it's not going to happen, not going to happen. Came back from a bit of a break and when I got an X-ray and yeah, they were like, there's a bone forming. Like it's not there now. I tried to get it drained before, but they said there was already wall, like walls up or something because uh, it was starting to form. So like you couldn't just drain it all at once because you had little blood pockets everywhere. Um, so I, I'm not sure why, but because uh, I was like just going to each blood pocket and take the blood out, but it apparently doesn't work like that. So yeah, and then got the diagnosis, and yeah, I was pretty um, pretty rattled by that actually. Like I knew it was a very you know small possibility of turning out that way, but um, yeah, I remember just thinking like, fuck, you know, my season's pretty much over, and I played four games. I felt like I only just got off the plane, and then. Um, you know, you sort of feel a bit useless as well because, like, you want to earn the boys' respect and, you, you know, through, you know, what you do on the field and all that sort of stuff. So I was just a bit of a passenger last year, really. You know, when I went and saw the specialist in Paris, he said, I was like, how long is it going to be? He's like, well, it can take between three and nine months. And I was like, fuck, you know, like, normally you get, like, four to six weeks or, you know, four to six months, but three, nine is such a massive such a massive window. Um, so I just didn't really know how to approach it, you know, because like, yeah, like there's no, it's hard to set goals there, you know, or realistic goal. You don't know what's realistic and what's not. Um, so I aimed for six and I, it ended up taking about seven or eight. But um, yeah, the the healing process in itself was bizarre as well because um, the first four months I had, I don't, I, I think I had zero improvement. Yeah, I just thought, I was like, oh, is this ever going to get better? Like I genuinely thought that like I'd stay awake at night just laying uh, staring at the ceiling just being like what and then i'd get up and go on my laptop and be like what's it called in in french it's called like iosis moss <laughs> fucking i can't remember but um doing all you know i remember i bought a research paper or something it was like 30 or 40 bucks like someone had done a you know for a university thing or something and you to view this you need to pay and i was like i just i was like fuck it because i was just so desperate for like knowledge because there's just not much you know like you break your hand, everyone's like, oh, yeah, four to six weeks, blah, blah, getting a cut, like this is, you just, where do you start, you know, like, 
that no one could really tell me the best way to to sort of take it on. So um, it was tough physically, but it was also a mind fuck. Like it really was. Um, those days I genuinely, you know, doubted if I'd ever play again. And so yeah, when I think back to that now, you know, I'm just stoked with how it's all sort of turned out. How does it fix itself? So now the nausea bit of me is like, right, you've got a calcification, you've got eight, nine centimeter pocket turning to bone. Did they let it turn to bone or? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, they, let, they let it just set and now you've got a yeah. eight, nine centimeter strip in your leg that's bone. Yeah. So I oh. did ask, I asked the surgeon that I said, can we get it taken out? And he said, you can, but they don't, they don't advise getting it taken out for like at least a year or two after it's formed because it's not hard enough yet. So like, you like it's like going taking jelly out and he sort of said if you do that you've got to cut so i don't know what is it your femur or something like the bone in your quad that's already there and then you've got about i don't know 10 centimeters of quad and the bone sits right at the bottom so you've got to cut down through eight or nine centimeters of your quad oh. and it's obviously got to be a nine centimeter long or 10 yeah so he said it's really like people can have a lot of trouble coming back from that um so he said that's definitely last case in well worst case scenario so the way the way it sort of turned out was um the best way i can describe it is it's like when a baby a baby is teething um it's agony for the for the time it takes to you know the process to happen but then your body just learns to live with it and it just becomes normal like right now like i never day to day i never notice it like it's all like if you say to me oh how about your leg i'm like oh yeah fuck you know like it's not like you know, I've had shoulder injuries before, which were not bad. And I still, you know, when I bench press every time, I'm like, oh, fuck, you know, like that injury. But this one, I like, I do my split squats, everything, like my weight's the same, my power's the same. Like, I never notice it. Um, so it's turned out really good. But yeah, I guess when you're saying, like, how do you take it on? Like, when uh, I think it's just a time thing and it's, you just got to be patient. And also, as I said, three to nine months, like, you can't have your expectations too high. You got to be, I guess, have the mindset, if I could do it again, that have the mindset that it was going to take eight or nine and anything else is a bonus because you'll know when you're you'll know when you getting better. Like, you know, after four months, I still couldn't walk downstairs normally. Like, I couldn't wait bare like that. But, you know, if I'd woken up one day after two and I could, you think, oh, you know, we're progressing. So then you just, you go with it. The baby teething analogy, perfect for Johnny and I, absolutely nailed it. We get it, I think, Johnny. Yeah, I think. Yeah, but you, you, you can't take your femur off and stick it there in the house, mate, like where it's crying. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's very different. During those months, you obviously bought a research paper. You were saying you, you, there's some dark times. You're kind of looking here, there. Actually, one of your teammates, Zach Henry, when he came on, he, he was talking to us about he went to a some sort of healer, didn't he, Johnny? And there's various things that people oh, yeah. try like yeah. what what are you doing are, are people saying try this try that try the other yeah, you're just mate, trying anything I, I actually got recommended to go to lords a lot and drink the holy water like that was one thing that people were suggesting i was like fuck you know i if it got to nine months i would have but i was just like i was at a point where i was just like you just don't want to leave any stone unturned you know but yeah there was some left field suggestions but yeah i was just like fuck it's just hard to do in france you know like everyone's like oh go see this doctor and you're like oh. You know, like I'm not going to be able to talk to him, you know, like he might give you a different opinion, but I did, um, I had some help, you know, from doctors back home and stuff, which, um, you know, they all give you advice and it's slightly different. So, um, yeah, I guess 
I was sort of just in the mindset of just fucking try and stay patient and don't lose your head. You're moments away from that Zach Henry solution. Have 10 sheep and head to this healer in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> Man, genuinely, I would have asked Zach for his number if, I, if, it, if it dragged out a little bit longer, but no, nah, it's all good in the end. I mean, you've come back. You're faster than you've ever been. Let's just say you are. It sounds good. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> you signed you've, you've signed the new extension to 2025, so you're clearly loving life. What is Paul like as a club? The backroom staff, the players, the environment, the place, the city. Like we don't have many boys from Po on. So what is it like to be there playing your rugby? Mate, it's awesome. Like it's a very friendly town. It's a good size as well. You know, it's not everywhere is, you know, 10, 15 minutes, but it's not you got enough going on. You know, the culture's really good. People are really friendly. Uh we're in a great spot. You can get to the beach in the summer in an hour. You can get to the mountains in the winter in an hour. Um so yeah, we're located really well and um as a club yeah i mean we've got a good a really good core group of players who are just sort of coming through similar age um so i think the plan is uh, i think that was sort of a plan they went with a couple of years ago to sort of you know get a good you know group of guys and sort of progress together and um i think we're on that path at the moment we're working hard and um you know we obviously had a good win on the weekend but i think what we've probably got to learn to do is and we've talked about a little bit is um just learning to win more you know like we've we've lost a few close games and stuff and i think that comes with age and experience so you know we're working hard but um you know as as like the nature of sport is that it's it's about today not tomorrow so yeah hopefully we can start turning you know just i guess just get a few more gritty wins like we've lost a couple close ones this season how have you found the mental side of being part of a relegation battle because it's not something that you experience yeah. in super rugby that'll be new for you as well so how have you found dealing with that i've actually really enjoyed it um you know i know like i, I when i've spoken to a couple of people i sort of been a bit surprised by that but um you know like i played for the waratahs in 2021 yeah it's 21 and we went zero from 13 you know and you get to like four or five weeks into the season you're none from five and you're like well fuck you know like it's hard to, that's harder you know like you sort of like it's hard to get up for those ones and you know have that you know little edge at training and stuff whereas for me like you know obviously it's high pressure um playing a relegation battle but i've got confidence that we'll be right um but it's great because you know like I guess from looking at with a positive mindset is that when you wake up, you know, there's no, you don't lack any motivation to get up, you know, go to training, do the extra one percenters, like those sorts of things. So, and I also think that like, you know, there's an old saying like pressure is a privilege or whatever, you know, like when you're playing in San Sebastian in front of 40,000, it's so high stakes. Like that's a, you know, that's where I consider myself really lucky to be doing that, you know? So yeah, I've actually really enjoyed it. And I think, yeah, it's great from like an engagement point of view as well to people you know it meant so much that we won on the weekend and um you know fans are you know they're very passionate this time of year they have been so um yeah it's great i mean i'm I'm actually really enjoying it you mentioned there was a good group of foreigners at the club when you arrived uh we've had zach henry on we spoke spoke about him uh we've spoken to luke whitelock as well there's another englishman there at the moment dan robson so how's he getting on have you helped him settle it yeah he's doing really well uh he's a great character and you know it's always nice to have another another foreigner and stuff but um yeah i think he's really loving it as well um you know he was a bit similar to me when he arrived and he'd only known one way before and you know you sort of got to flip that on your head when you come to france and 
uh, just roll with it a little bit. But um, yeah, I think he's doing really well and he's added a lot to the team as well. So, you know, we're lucky to have him. Mate, another boy that I'd love to find out more about is Emilian Gayetong. Yeah. So you're not you're not far behind him in the try scoring stakes, but he's top of the top 14. Like he's only 19. I watched a couple of his games when he's playing for the 20s. I think his mum's English as well, but yeah. he, he looks like he could be really handy. He's been part of the French wider squad, but a player and a bloke, what's Emilian like? Yeah, he I I can't speak high enough of him, really. Um, as both. I remember so I had no idea that his mum was English. Um, and it'd been like because he's quite a shy, you know, got like like he's not an overly, he's not the kind of guy who's going to come in at 19 and, you know, own the change room, which is which is how yeah, I think we all were when we were young. Um, and so it had been like four or five days and I'd, you know, sort of savard him and all that sort of stuff. And then I just heard one of the boys talking to him in English and he's just like speaking fluently with like a very English accent. I was like, the fuck? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, he speaks, he speaks like fluent English and um I knew he had a big reputation when he came to the club, um, and I've played with a lot of guys who, at that at that age, have massive reputations. But the difference for me was that everyone else who I'd played with at that age, with the same, you know, who have those massive reputations, they're they're athletically very very gifted, mm-hmm. and they're a bit rough around the edges in the other parts of the game. Whereas he's the top, other way, he's top notch at those, you know, like just the little details about you know running his lines his passing, like all that sort of his game, understanding, like he knows when to run, when to pass, when to pass early, when to pass at the line. Like he's, um, yeah, he plays like a fucking 30 year old, you know, like his understanding is just so good. He doesn't overplay his hand and um, he's only going to get better and better. He's, um, he's a very good player. In terms of other players, it's probably a bit harsh to compare it to someone. He's obviously his own man, but give us a sense for people who don't know him well, what kind of a player he is, who he's like and, and how good he can be. I don't know. Someone who, I would I think I think he's got a bit of Conrad Smith about him. You know, he's not like at this stage of his career, he's not the kind of guy who's gonna, you know, get the ball and steamroll people, but he just some like with his involvement, sometimes like less is more, you know, like he just he doesn't like I love playing fullback outside him as well. Um he understands, like I said before, when to pass, when to run. The time is passed really good. He always puts it out in front of you so you can run onto it. Like just those little things, um, which, yeah, as I said, like you sort of get them in your more experienced older heads. Um, he just It just seems to come naturally to him. So, um, yeah, I don't want to put too much expectation on him, but I think he's, he's going very well and I, I think he's just going to continue to get better. Not too much expectation, but Comrade Smith. So yeah. yeah. A little bit of Comrade <laughs> Smith. <laughs> and also Johnny mentioned, I think Fabian Gauthier is going locked down. He's been in France squads, but he's not capped yet. So England could do with the centre. Any chance you could have a word? Mate, it was funny the other week that um we had we were just like wearing bibs at training. And I don't know why, but he just happened to have one, had like a little England logo on it. And I was just like, oh, you know, like, and a couple of the Frenchies, like, oh, no, 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 like, <laughs> pretty quick to shut that down. They're, I think they're, they know they've got a good one. So, you know, they're not going to, um, not going to take any chances with him. And mate, he came through the under 20s ranks with now your head coach, Sebastian Piccaronis. What's he like, both as a coach and a bloke? Like, we've had sort of different people on said different things, but how do you find him in general? What's he like? I really enjoy playing under him. Like, it's, um, when I sort of came to France, I, you know, I had this sort of expectation that I didn't know Seb, um, that, you know, my coach was going to be like this highly emotional guy who, 
you know, love to scream and shout at the players and, you know, one day he was up, the next he was down. Uh, I guess that was sort of the stereotype I got sold when I was back home, but he's the complete opposite. I mean, I know he had that moment with the ref or whatever, he got suspended and I was really out of character. Normally he's a very sort of placid guy. Um, he's a very good people person. And yeah, I think he's he's been really good from a point of view of you sort of comfortable in a good way, not comfortable where you're too relaxed and, you know, you take the piss or whatever, but you know, I think he's a, he's a very good people person and, um, you know, I enjoy playing for him and I've got a good relationship with him. And you were a fly half in the younger days, weren't you? Yeah, I actually played that till I was 19. And am I right in saying that you got a bit of advice earlier in your kind of Australia career? Even Stephen Larkin were like, further down the line, you could become a fly half. Is that something that might happen or not? Well, we've actually got a 6-2 the last few weeks um, and I've been, you know, if anything happens to Zach, I'm in. Um, so... When I was in Australia, I, you know, they put me there. I, I trained, so my first spring tour with the Wallabies, I trained, I couldn't play, I was like a development player, but I trained at 10 for the second team. You know, I went all right on that tour and they sort of, when I went back to Australia, the Rebels that started preseason, I think they'd sort of had a word to the Rebels and be like, we want Jack to play at 10. So I played a couple of trials at 10 um, and then hastily got thrown back out wide. <laughs> I just didn't really enjoy it much. Like, and then I was sort of a bit resistant to it when I was back in Australia, but I don't mind it here because back in Australia, the way I used to feel was I was younger as well. I've never sort of been that on the field, that personality. I'm sort of trying to learn to become that that dominant personality, you know, like bossing people around and stuff. I sort of more just like to go about my own business. But yeah, I used to not really like playing tennis in Australia. Like when I, when you're a kid, it's fun because you touch the ball the most. But when I when you go professional, it's more. It just feels like you're babysitting everyone else. There's so much on your plate. You know, you got to look after X, Y, and Z. Whereas the game's a bit looser here, um, so you can play off instinct a bit more. Um, so yeah, I'm enjoying that aspect of when you know training and stuff, and uh, when I have jumped in at ten, it's it's quite a different. It's you know you wear the same number, but it's quite a different role in France is what I found. Um, in Australia. So, um, you know, I'm definitely enjoying when I do jump in there and, uh, you know, more open to playing there more in the future. And also the scrum half takes a lot of pressure off in France, don't they? The scrum half's arguably the bigger yeah. general. Yeah. I mean, that's something I that's something I realised when I was in Australia is that when I, when I was at the Rebels, when, so Will Genya came back late and when he'd go at nine versus the hours we had, just how much more control he took and I really enjoyed that when I was younger. But, um, yeah, I think when you play with an experienced nine, they they sort of run the show a bit more. Um, and I know Zach, he said the same thing to me when he was at Leicester with Ben Youngs. Like, it just, it just takes so much off your plate. And weirdly, to add to that, the amount of teams now that are playing two-sided attack or short-side attack, so the amount of teams that are bouncing back down a short side and reloading with a fullback at 10, like, it's more and more common. So is it the type of thing that as your career goes on, and, like, weirdly, we saw my mate, Yesterday, Stuart Hogg retiring from from all rugby, age thirty one. Whereas I'm like, there's a part of me that would wish that he maybe could have. Well, why don't I go and play ten? Why don't I go and try it? Like he's got the skill set. Yeah, he wants to grab. But then, if you're playing club rugby and you're looking for longevity, if the legs start to go and you get double dead legs and corks in both legs, and you're you're running yeah. on your calves at the end, you could easily slot in at ten and find another lease of life in a career. Yeah, well, it is something I've thought about. You know, it probably does buy a couple extra years on the back end of your career and. Something which I think as well is that if you're going to practice the skill set of playing 10, you know, at my age, 26, even though you're not, it's not your primary position, there's not, you know, it's not, it's not wasted time. I mean, if you're catching, you're practicing your catch pass, you keep all those little intricate like skills, 
that's only going to help you as a player. You know, I guess it's putting more pressure on your skill set as a fullback to be able to handle it at 10. And then, as you said, like, you know, you find yourself in positions at 15 a lot where you're first receiver and all that sort of stuff. And um, and you sort of understand uh, when you play 10, you understand, you know, like from a fullback's perspective, what you want from the 10 and that sort of stuff. So I do think, you know, if, even if I never play a minute at 10 in my life again, even just practicing the skill set and training there is making me a better fullback as well. And if we can make all the coaches aware that you can play both standoff <laughs> yeah. and fullback, <laughs> you're way more valuable. Pumps up that price. Let's do it. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's say that you're going to go back to Australia in 2025 and you're going to wear the Wallaby number 10 jersey. Let's just say that now. Yeah, with the next Jones O'Connor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, well, you mentioned Eddie Jones earlier on. If you were Eddie Jones, that's quite a debate at the moment in Australia, isn't it? Who's going to wear that number 10 jersey? So who would you go for? Um, oh, I think Quaid, to be honest. Um, like I've played with him before and um, he seems to almost be getting better with age. You know, like he's, he's, he was a bit more nippy when he was a kid. Like his footwork and stuff was amazing. But I think when he came back um, for the Wallabies, it was 21. I just think the difference he made there is a calm head. He's got a great understanding of when, like, he doesn't overplay. Uh, I think he might have been guilty of that at times when he was younger, but he just seems to have a lot of control over the team. And, you know, I guess, like, a sign of a good player is he he seems to make others play, others around him play better when he's in that environment as well. So, yeah, I think he's probably a logical choice. Um, but if you're looking for a bolter, I've actually, I've watched, because I still watch a fair bit of Super Rugby, the... Rebels and Reds, young tens, Carter Gordon, Tom Liner. Um, they've started the season. They look pretty good, pretty handy, those two as well. So it's good for Australia. You know, it's a position where there probably hasn't been that depth over the last four or five years. Uh, you sort of had Quaid Bernard, and that was about it. But yeah, it's good to see that they've, you know, got a few guys emerging, you know, out of the pack now. And you mentioned one of the attractions of, going to france is sort of the proximity to everywhere else if you get some time off you can go here there and everywhere european rugby for the next couple of weeks and you guys aren't involved before a big return to the top 14 and some massive games at the end of the season yeah. so you got any plans for your couple of weeks off yeah i'm actually heading up to um uh the netherlands this weekend uh my awesome. brother yeah my brother lives there in rotterdam um so he arrived Probably October last year. I haven't been to see him yet. Obviously, the season's a bit more congested in the early parts. So I'm actually really looking forward to going and seeing him. Um, my girlfriend, she's back in Australia for the moment. So, um, yeah, it just works well in terms of one of those ones where you can just, you know, load up a backpack, you know, jump on the Ryanair flight and um, get there. So it'll be great to see him. Um, obviously, we're in Spain last weekend and, you know, we're in France now. So, like like I was saying, like that's, um, you know, the novelty of that to me is still – you know, it's still pretty real. So, um, like, yeah, it's so good to just be able to travel around and stuff. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's another bit of advice which I got was when I came just to travel all you can. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've seen so many new places and um, I haven't been to Netherlands yet, so I'm keen to get up there this weekend. On your brother, is that your brother, Will, that used to play sevens? Yeah, yeah. Mate, again, people won't know tell his story because he's got one hell of a story after everything he's been through as well as a youngster yeah so um when we were young um like we've will and i so i've got three older brothers um will will and i were sort of like we're three years apart but like one of my other brothers calls us the twins because we we're always sort of raised together like we shared a room till 
I think I was 14, he was 16, like, you know, two single beds next to each other. We've been very close our whole life. And yeah, one day we were on a family holiday. So he he just noticed like his his eye just kept weeping, like just tears coming out of him. You're like, what the hell? Um and so the doctor was like, oh, I'll take these anti-inflams or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, went on family holiday and knowing Will, he forgot his tablets. Um, he's very forgetful, Will. Um, and so we went to another GP where we were on holiday, just be like, oh, can we just get a top up? You know, Will forgot his. And they're like, I think this could be something a bit more serious. So ended up sending him for scans, blah, blah, blah. I think he was 15 at the time or 14. Um, anyway, got diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, cancer. Um, so he went into chemo for about, uh, I think, six to nine months. And, um, yeah, it was a pretty hard time for our whole family. Um, but it certainly makes you grateful, you know, looking back on it now that he's come out the other side. But, yeah, it's such a um, it's such a hard experience for them, you know. Like, I know Will hates getting needles and you've got to get a needle fucking every day or sometimes twice. And um, he had to actually – so what they did with him was – I think it might be – common practice i'm not sure but they insert like a tube through your jugular vein um and it just literally sits out the front of your stomach like that um so yeah like there's a lot of a lot of stuff which goes on and um you know obviously went bored with the chemo and stuff and it was quite funny actually because one time when we were young we were playing rugby in the house and um mum was out dad was on babysitting duties and i was like all right uh this is my bedroom uh this is my trial on it was one bedroom this is your trial on the other one anyway so we'll fucking makes a full field break whatever i chase him through the house into a bedroom he dives on the bed and i dive after him obviously hits the bed and bounces up and i went bang and smashed my my front four teeth out on his on the back of his head uh, <laughs> but then like seven or eight years later when he had came with bald head you you can still see my teeth marks <laughs> back of his head. um so yeah i mean it was a tough time but looking back on it um you know I, it makes you very grateful that things have turned out the way they have and so when he got into remission he was like 15 or 16 i think he was like 50 50 kilos or something like he was he was already a small kid and then it was just at that age where he starts hit puberty and um probably stunted him for another 18 24 months so he was, he was tiny um played in the tents at school um thirds colts first year out of school and he he was like a 21 year old in a 16 year old's body he was just developing a lot later than everyone else um and then just made his way up through the grades at East, he when he was playing lower grades, he was scoring like two, two and a half tries every game. Like he was just killing it. And then ended up playing for Australian Sevens. Um, so yeah, he's had a really good story. And he went into he went to work fine, uh, sort of he got squeezed out a bit in COVID with the sevens, but then he went and worked in a job in finance. And um, I'd always been very vocal to him about I think you need to do something yeah he just lived in Sydney his whole life he was very comfortable you know I, I was encouraging him to get out and do something different and then he one day he just called me and said oh one of my mates is going to Rotterdam to play rugby like I think he asked his coach if you know he'd be interested in having me and he said yeah so um yeah I was like mate you fucking need to take that. I'll be I'll, I'll be off you if you don't uh so he did it and I think he's loving it you know I think like similar to what I was saying when I first came to France just those little things you know, like um, differences in culture and all that sort of stuff, just meeting new people. Yeah, it's just a great experience. I think he's pretty high on life at the moment. Absolutely. Amazing story. And Rotterdam isn't going to know what's here this weekend, I'm guessing. <laughs> well, it was funny because, as you can imagine, we um, had a few beers after the game on Saturday. And um, I text Will saying, um, 
what's the agenda this week? You know, like I was hinting at it, but I was like, you know, I don't think, you know, I'm not coming in full, you know, guns fully blazing. And he was like, oh, it's our um, roommates last weekend before he goes to back to Australia. So we've got a champagne breakfast starting 10 a.m. And I was just like, oh, fuck. Yes. <laughs> So yes. yeah, I'm sure I'll I'm sure I'll be stinging by the time it comes around. But at the moment, fuck. You've got plenty of time to recover after that, don't worry. Yeah, Not a game yeah for a it's true. You gotta enjoy these moments. Mate, that'll be awesome. Enjoy it. Have an amazing weekend. Enjoy Europe. And thanks so much for joining us. That was class. We'll do. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, all the best. Cheers, Jack. Cheers. See ya. What a story, Johnny. Uh, always interesting when you get someone on who people probably don't have many preconceived ideas about and some of the stuff there fascinating yeah i don't think many people in europe will know much at all about jack but a guy that burst onto the scene in australia got capped really early on but certainly had no qualms about moving off for pastures new trying something completely different he really did struggle last year with that injury again that pickled my mind learning about that injury but when you see him play the way he played this weekend against Bayonne, when you see him in confidence, he's a real athlete. And more importantly, he's an awesome bloke, like happy to come on, chat away. How good that he gets to go away to Holland this weekend, have a weekend with his brother Will. Um, but yeah, just a, a good boy, another great lad to have on. And yeah, it'll be an interesting next few weeks for them without European rugby. Will that possibly help, Paul? The fact that they don't have distractions in European rugby, I think it'll probably help them. After that big winner night out in San Sebastian, they'll... They'll be good to come the end of the season. So, no, delighted to have him on. Great boy. Um, and all the luck in the world to the rest of them for the rest of the year. Speaking of European rugby, return the Champions Cup. Who are we looking at from a French perspective? Do you think he's going to go well? So, I am at La- I'm in La Rochelle this weekend for La Rochelle Gloucester with BT Sport. I think that should be a home win. La Rochelle, yeah. you'd think, will be too strong for Gloucester. Extra Montpellier, I have absolutely no idea because Extra <laughs> at the minute are probably as poor as I've seen them in the past 10 years. Would that be fair, Tim? You probably watch more Premiership than I do, but I would say as poor as I've ever seen them, plus an X this at the end of the year, a little bit lost. But I just, I've got no idea if Montpellier will seize that opportunity or whether they'll put out a decent team. That is, I was going to say, we'll know when they put the teams out on Friday. That's the, well, that's that, the only that, time we'll know. That's when we'll know. But the importance now for these guys, especially Montpellier winning in Perpignan on the weekend is well, we've got a shot at the top six. So do they stick their eggs in that basket, rest their players and go big guns for the top 14? That's going to be the question for for them. But potentially that's an opportunity to go to Exeter and win. Um, and then Toulouse-Bulls, I think, is going to be the hardest game of the weekend and a lot of our European um, rugby fans won't know too much. You maybe follow the URC, but our French rugby fans won't know anything about the Bulls. They're a proper team and they can really play. They're physical, they're abrasive, they play for 18 minutes. So that will be the biggest test, but I would still back to lose after having rested quite a few of the players this weekend against Cast to win at home as well and make it through to the quarters. And on the Montpellier one, and probably relevant for some of the Challenge Cup ties involving a lot of French teams as well, mm-hmm. because this is back-to-back with the quarterfinals if you get through next weekend, that can change some teams' opinion as well because you maybe don't want players to have three weeks off at this stage of the season, essentially, between games. I don't know, mate. You look at those Challenge Cup games, Scarlets against Breathe. Do Breathe have any interest in playing in the Challenge Cup? No. Perhaps not then. And they don't want to get through to a quarterfinal. They want to have everyone fit, everyone ready. If they can have two weeks off and have hard training days, but get everyone 100% fit for their next top 14 fixture, they would take that. And you look down through those fixtures in the the Challenge Cup, you've got Stade Francais against Lyon, 
Again, two teams, Stade Francais, comfortably in the top four. Lyon hovering around top six. Uh, they're currently fourth, I think. But what are their ambitions going to be? I, I don't know. In that games can move so quickly and things can change so fast in the last four or five games of the regular season. Toulon against the Cheetahs. Toulon again, they're now in sixth. Are they going to go big in the Challenge Cup or are they going to conserve a little bit of their squad, give some boys some game time, but go big in the top 14? And the same thing for Racing. I mean, are Racing going to send their first 23 over to play against the Lions? I don't think so. So I think the Champions Cup is going to be played probably in the full proper spirit of the competition. I think the the Challenge Cup now, you might see some some bomb squads getting sent out by the top 14 sides. And any transfer news to fill us in on? One that I really enjoyed and I didn't see coming, didn't know anything about, and then it just popped up over here in French media. Thakir Abrams to Lyon. Uh, he is an absolute monster. I mean, tiny, but physically a monster. Go on YouTube, look up his try against Leinster that he scored at the RDS. Absolutely rapid. He'll be a class signing for Lyon. I think that's because they couldn't persuade Josh Adams to get out of his contract at Cardiff with the Welsh rugby. Um, so he has been confirmed. Joshua Tuasova, we still don't know in that there's now a three-way struggle between Clermont, Toulon and Racing. But I think that might be announced in the next week to 10 days um, in that it was a question of apparently schooling, but I've got no idea what that's really about. <laughs> so I'll be interested to see when that comes up. Uh, but those are the only two big ones that are going doing the rounds this week. And then no France move for um, Stuart Hogg, Johnny retiring from all rugby after the World Cup. Is that something that took you by surprise? No. He told me during the autumn, so I knew. <laughs> um, in that he, we had a good chat about it, actually, over a beer after one of the autumn internationals. And he was just very clear that he didn't feel physically that he could get out of himself what he needed to do and what he needed to be at the highest level. And therefore, he wanted to go out on a high. Uh, so absolute respect to him. He's... One of four Scots to now have 100 caps. He's one of four Scots to have been on three British and Irish Lions tours. He's probably the best 15 we've ever had. One of our greatest of all time and a really good mate. So I'm delighted for him. It's brave as well because there's not many people that would turn down the remaining contract he has at Exeter and essentially resigned. So um, by mutual consent, retiring like that, going out on a high and finishing hopefully with a bang at the World Cup in a few months here in France. I wish him all the best. He's been a legend, awesome to have played with, to have been on the field with him running in some of those tries. It was phenomenal just to, to watch and then to have as a teammate. He's a great boy. So I wish him and his family all the best in the next chapter and him all the best at the World Cup. Absolutely. And not many that would say no to you when you're trying to say, come to this French club. They'll pay you a million quid. Mate, and the thing is, he's had those offers. He's had those mm. offers over the past six, eight years. He's had all the offers that he could have gone to Japan. He could have done anything. He could have done anything he wanted, but... He's got other interests. He wants to explore other avenues. So respect him. He's decided that he wants to go out on the top of his game, which is where he is. So um, all the best to him. Thanks, Johnny. A massive thanks to Jack for joining us as well. And thanks to all you guys for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe. Leave us a nice review if you can. Check us out on Rugby Pass and on YouTube. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, Johnny. 100 not out. A bit like Hoggy, I just realised as well. What about that? Synergy. What about the timing? Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Tim. Cheers, Johnny. Bye.